I'm in the rough draft that we got in our meeting, I thought, oh, not again. The pre-tribulation rapture, I've written a good deal on that, as you know. And, uh, but then I thought, say, that's just great. Because there was still one message that I wanted to write, if I ever should put that in a book, depersonalize the whole thing, you know, and just get the arguments in a book on the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And that's what I'm going to preach to you, and I'm going to practice, and then I'm going to get it into written form. Uh, what brought about the post-tribulation theory? Now, you know what we're talking about. I think everybody here does. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could come for us at any time. Within ten minutes, he could come and take us to be with himself. Isn't that a thrilling thought? Uh, that we call that the pre-tribulation rapture. We don't have to go through the terrible time of tribulation that the Lord and Daniel both said were the most terrible times of trouble this world has ever known or ever will know. Thank God we'll be called away before. But recently there has been an increasing tendency on the part of some to slip away from that and to feel, well, maybe we do have to go through the tribulation period. We call that the post-tribulation theory. They say that the Lord will come after the tribulation, and if that's so, we have to go through the terrible time that I just mentioned. Now, what has brought this uh, tendency or this uh, veering toward the post-tribulation theory? Well, you say, of course, there was the atom bomb and the uh, hydrogen bomb and the nitrogen bomb and all sorts of frightening things that made people think twice. Maybe the tribulation is practically here. Well, that's true. That's true. And I've said that too. But why couldn't the pre-tribulation, premillenarian, dispensational believers answer that easily from the Word? I'll tell you why. This is my view of it, and I think you'll agree when I state it. It's because our dispensational Bible teachers, by and large, have not seen the absolute distinctiveness of Paul's apostleship and message. They haven't seen that the mystery revealed through Paul is, or that the rapture of the church and the truth about the body are integral parts of the same mystery first revealed to Paul. So they have used the wrong scriptures in many cases to teach the rapture of the church. Now before I give some examples, I'd like to read a few propositions to you. Make believe we're in school now and I'm reading you some propositions. Are they true or false? Am I right or wrong? You can answer aloud if you want to, but you don't need to if you don't. Proposition number one. In the scriptures, Israel's hope and calling are earthly, while ours are heavenly. Am I right or wrong? Right. right thank you. Proposition number two. Our Lord was sent to none but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Am I right or wrong? Right. Thank you. Proposition number three. If our Lord on earth spoke to his disciples about the rapture of the body, then the truth of the body and of its rapture to heaven were not a secret first revealed to Paul, as he says they were. Am I right or wrong? Right. The less people saying it, I must be getting farther from... <laughs> Thank you. That's all right. Proposition number four. If, that's a big if, our Lord urged his disciples to be looking and waiting for the rapture, then the rapture has to take place after the tribulation because he prepared them for that too. Am I right or wrong? Right. Therefore, Bible teachers who have used scripture passages from the four gospels so-called to teach the rapture of the body of Christ have unwittingly helped to bring about the post-rapture theory. Now let's go to some of these passages. Matthew 24, please. Matthew 24, uh, verses uh, 40 to 42. Matthew 24, verses 40 to 42. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now just Saturday, before I came here in the morning, I was looking at a commentary on this verse, and the commentator said, Could you want a clearer description of the rapture? One is taken, the other left. One taken, the other left. But beloved, let's look at it now in the light of the context. Because if you take a verse to use as an argument, but to do it you have to divorce yourself from the context, your argument is wrong. Now then, let's go back to verse 37. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also, also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Nothing is said here, by the way, about being caught up much less caught up to be with Christ. It simply says one of the two will be taken. Taken how? Well, the preceding context says, as it was in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving away again in marriage 
until the flood came and took them all away. Were they taken away uh, to be uh, with God or to enjoy some blessing? No, they were not. They were taken away in judgment. Now, look please at uh, verse uh, at verse uh, 40 here, or verse 39. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And then you read, one shall be taken, the other shall be left. You read it twice. Now, I was quite disappointed to read a note in the companion Bible on verses 40 and 41 at the word taken. Here's what the companion Bible says at that word. Equals. That's, that's Bullinger's way of saying this means that, you see. Equals. Quote, taken to one side in peace and for blessing. And he says it's not the same as the word taken or took in verse 39 where the flood came and took them all away. Now that, that's a tough one, isn't it? Is it? No, it isn't. I'm sorry to have to say that the companion Bible or its author or authors had a tendency that I never appreciate in in, in places where there may be a discussion or may, in debatable places. He says here, it's not the same word as in verse 39 and it means to be taken to one side in peace and for blessing. So, I got out my old trusty Englishman's Greek concordance and I looked up the word taken. It's true that paralambano sometimes means or is used in a context where someone is taken for blessing. For example, Matthew 1.20. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Now that was to be taken in uh, for peace and uh, in peace and for blessing. The Lord Jesus took the three disciples to the mountaintop and uh, they saw that tremendous sight there, the, the transfiguration of the Lord. Now that's the word paralambana was used in that context but he didn't sell and here's what you should always do when you have an argument don't just darken the other side or don't hide it or don't do as though it doesn't exist rather deal with it and answer it because this same word is also used of the soldiers who it says they came and take they come and take away Jesus and they terribly abused him. They whipped him and scourged him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Is that taking away in peace and for blessing? The same word is used away, used again about the soldiers, uh, how the Lord Jesus was taken by the soldiers and crucified. It reminds me of a pastor, and if any of you dear Baptist friends will forgive me, this is not a... Uh, not said unkindly at all, but it does teach us that when somebody says something about a Greek word, many times somebody who can't even, can't even read Greek as well as English will try to prove an argument by the Greek. Well, then you have a right to go and look up the tools that God has given you. Get that Greek concordance and look it up and see whether he's right. This pastor 
I was dealing with, uh, I was teaching Galatians, it got to Galatians 3.26, which says, For as many as are baptized into Christ, that put on Christ, and we believe that, don't we? We believe that by the Holy Spirit we are baptized into Christ. But he didn't. He thought that meant water baptism. So he said, Beloved, that word E-I-S, we'd spell it in English, ice or ace, uh, it should, be, should have been translated onto. It's translated onto scores of times. That impressed my young mind. But thank God for the woman who, when I was 14 years old, old Ma Fitch, they called her in New York City, gave me Englishman's Greek concordance and the Hebrew and Chaldee too. And I went home and I was amazed. Sure, the word ace is uh, translated unto scores of time, but it's translated into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. The overwhelming mass of the occurrences say into and not unto. I wish he had told me that. I think he knew. So it isn't right to take an argument from a Greek word by just ignoring what it says on the other side. So what do we have to do here? We have to go back to the context. And the context, sure, it uses a, a, a synonym of this word paralambano. Don't use exactly the same word. Do we always use the same word over and over again in our conversation when we're talking about the same thing? We use synonyms too. And here it is clear from the context that a taking away in judgment is in view. It has nothing to do with the rapture. One shall be taken, taken away in judgment, and the other shall be left to enter into the glorious kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, that's why, again, context is important as we study the Word of God. But how often this has been used uh, of the rapture. How often you've heard it, I have. One shall be taken, the other... But they don't go into the context. They forget the context. One thing is certain. If this teaches the rapture of the body of Christ, then the body of Christ has to go through the Great Tribulation from that same context. Now then, let's go just one chapter further. Chapter 25. And I'm going to take the time just quickly to read to you the first 13 verses. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the, where the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough. For us and you, but go rather, <coughs> excuse me, to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. I don't know you. 
Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. <clears throat> now, I wonder if many here perhaps have not read that message by Dr. Ironside, great man of God he was, but he wrote that book of the Midnight Cry, and he used this passage to teach the rapture of the church, which he, of course, called the Bride of Christ. Now then, he said five were wise, five were foolish, five had oil, and the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit, they were the same ones. Five didn't have oil, they, I don't know how he explained that, or would explain it, they ran out of the oil they had, but... Uh, so they were not saved, and therefore they could not enter in, and God, the, the, the bridegroom, said to them, I never knew you. But there's some problems here. Look at verse 1, please. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. This is not a parable about the body of Christ, but about the kingdom of heaven. You remember the basic verse in the Old Testament regarding the kingdom of heaven. Daniel 2.44, After all these other great empires have risen and fallen, then shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, obviously on earth, set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it will not be left to other people. So, when the Lord came, remember that proposition, that our Lord Jesus uh, worked with the people of Israel. And their hope and calling were earthly, not heavenly. Now then, uh, when the Lord came to earth, remember how the angels join in that glorious chorus, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Remember what the Lord said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5? This was his message then, it wouldn't be to us, but this was the message then, the meek shall inherit what? Say that louder. The earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Remember the so-called Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You see, this has to do with the establishment of the kingdom on earth. Remember what Jeremiah said about the Messiah in Jeremiah 23.5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David, the king, a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice. Where? In the earth. Now when our Lord uh, ministered, he ministered to the house of Israel, and their outlook was earthly, just as earthly as if you were on Old Testament ground, which you are, uh, certainly before the crucifixion of Christ. Now then, uh, look at the last verse of this passage, verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the, wherein the Son of Man cometh. In the Old Testament we read often about the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus used it of himself 79 times when he's on earth. He called himself the Son of Man. You know how often... Paul calls the Lord Jesus the Son of Man not once. In fact, he only uses the phrase once, and that's in Hebrews 2, 6, 
when he says, when he uses the phrase about the offspring of man, not personally about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one other thing here. This is not the bride going to meet the bridegroom, as is sometimes implied. Not at all. These are the bride's maids. There are ten of them. them. Uh, Five wise and five foolish. Ten virgins uh, going forth to meet the bridegroom. Uh, Must this not be those others who will participate with Israel in the glorious marriage supper of the Lamb, that wonderful millennial time of blessing? These are the Gentiles, evidently, who will also uh, participate with Israel in the marriage supper. Uh, of the Lamb. Now then, one more thing. Please look here at the 24th chapter again and verse 42. Listen carefully. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Here again, parable of the kingdom of heaven, about the Son of Man and the marriage supper of the Lamb, He says in verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour, the day nor the hour, wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, somebody says, but isn't that exactly what Paul teaches? No. Watch more carefully. Consider it more more, uh, discriminatingly. Be careful to distinguish when one says something a little different than the other. Paul doesn't say you don't know the day nor the hour. That's Christ who says that again and again. You don't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. Why does he say that? And why does Paul tell us to be looking for him right now? Well, let's look. Turn please to uh, Luke and the 21st chapter. Luke 21 and uh, verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now notice, especially those signs, signs in the heaven as well as in the earth. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Get it? He, they won't know the day nor the hour, but God will give them signs to tell them when it's at hand. God will give them I mean very specific signs. The sun darkened and the moon turned to blood and all of that. He'll give them these tremendous signs to show them, now, now start looking. But that didn't mean they know the day or the hour. Get the difference? To us, we're to be looking for him to come at any time. The body of Christ is not given one single sign to tell them when the Lord Jesus is coming to take us to be with himself. Now then, the time is going, but turn please to John, chapter 14. Now, Mr. Stan, do be careful. There's a great deal of sentiment, often unscriptural sentiment, 
but warm, lovely sentiment associated with John 14. John 14 and Psalm 23, those are the two. Touch the traditional interpretations of those two passages and look out, some people are not going to like it. Now, if that should be the case here tonight, I trust that those of you who don't at first like it well, at least give me a hearing. Listen with open heart and mind. And perhaps you'll go away from this meeting and from this conference with greater blessing than you've known before. <coughs> John 14, verses 1 to 3. This is the Lord Jesus to his apostles. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, first of all, remember the proposition about the truth of the body and the rapture of the body? Those were mysteries. The mystery of the body and its rapture was first revealed to the Apostle Paul. Ah, but somebody says John wrote much later than Paul. So no doubt he got it from Paul. Ah, but wait. That makes no difference whatever. Because John here merely records what Christ said when he was on earth. And that, of course, was considerably before the raising up of Paul. Now then, remember our Lord had promised the twelve apostles a kingdom on earth, not a home in heaven. And here he's speaking to those apostles. <clears throat> now, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's generally interpreted to mean that he's gone up to heaven in some sense preparing mansions for us and then he's going to come back and call us and take us to be with himself. But beloved, that's not what it says. Let's read more carefully again. The second verse. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now just forget the mansions for a minute. He says, whatever they are, they're in my Father's house. What does he mean by my Father's house? Well, same gospel. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not... What are the next three words? Go ahead, read them all together. Same words. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, beloved, consistently throughout the Old Testament, the temple was called the house of God, God's house. And the Lord Jesus, these are not the only two passages, consistently called the temple 
my father's house. Now the Lord Jesus, of course, is speaking of the time when he comes back. And don't forget that millennial temple is going to play a great part in the kingdom reign of Christ. Now notice what he says here. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now you know that has bothered me or that did bother me from my youth. When I was a young teenager, I thought, how can he say... If it weren't so, I would have told you. Would they have had reason to expect mansions in heaven? Much less would we have reason to expect mansions in heaven? He says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. So it must mean that they, this was something they were expecting. And that it would be a disappointment to them if it weren't so. Now that's where these mansions come in. In the temple, built right into the temple. And by the way, this word is... Don't think of a castle. It's just abodes. And right into the temple were built the abodes of those who ministered there. And I don't have time. The time is going too fast. But twice in the Old Testament you read about the millennial temple. That right in it will be the abodes of those who are to minister there. That's why he says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. You're going to reign down here and you're going to be priests unto our God down here. And right, right into the temple where the Lord Jesus is going to reign, right into the temple are in my Father's house are the abodes where you will dwell. Let's go on. In my, in my Father's house are many dwelling places or abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. This has been made to mean, but it always did. As a youngster, I had trouble taking this. That Christ was up there in some way building or preparing a mansion for me and another for Brother Wynne Johnson, another for Don Potter and so on. He's up there arranging mansions for us. It seemed, didn't seem to go with the rest of the Bible about heaven. Well, let's go to the scriptures again. Luke and chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now, here's another parable about the kingdom. And one that he had to tell because of a misconception they had. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 and 12. And as they heard these things, he added and spake another parable, or spake a parable, because he was near... So the time when he's going to go to heaven? No, no. He was near to Jerusalem. And because they thought that the kingdom of God was immediately to appear. He said therefore unto them. He now starts to explain. Just because I'm getting going to Jerusalem now, that doesn't mean the kingdom's going to be set up right away. Oh no, he knew he had a diaper. He said therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Get it? Just as Herod and Pilate and others of the sub-rulers of our Lord's day had to go to Rome and stand before Caesar in order to receive authority, receive a kingdom or a tetrarchy or whatever. Just so this nobleman, Christ, 
was not going to set up the kingdom yet. No, he first had to go to his father in heaven, to a far country, and then he'd return and set up the kingdom. Now, just as he went there to receive a kingdom, others are involved. Don't forget that. Matthew, or Luke 12, 32, for example. It's your father's good pleasure to give you, my little flock, the kingdom. Matthew 19, 28. You should follow me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Then shall ye also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he was to go not only to receive a kingdom for himself, but for them too. This preparing a place, beloved, in, is a place in the kingdom, is not a physical thing, it's a spiritual and a moral thing. He goes up there with his own blood having paid for all of their sins, though they didn't know that yet, and he's going to come back having prepared a place in that kingdom for them. Now let's read it again from their standpoint. Remember Ephesians was not yet written. Paul had not yet been saved. The truth of the finished work of Christ once for all had not yet been uh, proclaimed or committed to anybody. So now the Lord Jesus, as a Hebrew, speaking to Hebrew brethren, who he had promised a place in the kingdom to come, not a place in heaven, says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Isn't there places already ready for you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again now. What does he mean when he says come again and receive you unto myself? Can that mean that he's going to come to the air and catch us to be with him, catch us to be with him? It can't. I'll tell you why. I'll give you a little illustration. Suppose uh, John Balk and I are in New York City. And I say to John, now I have to go all the way to San Francisco, but I'll come back again. Do I mean to come back to some other place? Do I mean to come almost to New York, like to stop at Philadelphia? No, I don't. I mean, I'm going to come back right where I went from. We're going to see more about that in just a minute. So that's what he means. If I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will go away. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't read heaven into that. They were not promised a home in heaven. They were promised a kingdom on earth. And when he comes to reign, he's going to get them to reign right with him. It's not as though he's going to take the kingdom and forget all about you twelve guys. You were faithful to me. Every day from the baptism of John till the day I was taken up, every single day you stayed with me. But goodbye, fellas. Now i got the glory. I'll forget you. No, no, no. I'll come and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, the time is going too fast, but I think I have time just to turn with you to Acts 1. Acts 1 and uh, verses 10 and 11. Acts 1, 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, here are the eleven remaining apostles, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Angels are often spoken of as men, persons. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Why did those angels ask these men, why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? Why shouldn't they stand gazing up into heaven? Hadn't their blessed Lord just vanished into heaven? Is it strange that they should have their hearts and their eyes still turned upward for some length of time just looking? Maybe he's coming right back. He's going to rain. The sufferings are past. Now the glory they knew was to follow. But the angel says, why do you do that? As though to take their attention away from that. And we read in uh, the the 12th verse, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount which is called Olivet. It's as if the angel says to them, Now, you have work to do on earth. Your calling is on earth. You're to make God's name great in the earth. You're going to reign with Christ on earth. Don't be afraid. Sure, he's gone away, but he's going to come back, as he said in John 14. He's going to come back. The same Jesus shall so come in like manner. And I say to you again, is it possible that he meant he's going to come back only part way? Come back most of the way into the air, but not come back? Ah, Zechariah 14 has something to say about that. His feet shall stand in the latter day where? On the Mount of right where they were standing then. And he's going to come the same as he went up. He went up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So he's going to come in a cloud. And it says, and every eye shall see him. And then he's going to reign and reign with them. Don't we have to compare this with passages like Philippians 3.20, beloved? Uh, Our conversation or whatever citizenship our conversation is in heaven not theirs but ours is that's where we belong somebody said to me one time Stan you don't belong down here I worked in a bank and one of the uh, tellers said you don't belong down here you belong in heaven I said that's right we have a song about that Uh, I don't belong down here since my heart to God I've given you know the chorus we belong in heaven that's where our conversation is we don't feel at home in this world Well, that's uh, what our hope is. Our conversation is in heaven from whence also when the signs have come we're going to start looking for the Lord. Is that what it says? No, no. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change this vile... You don't have to change that word for me. That's what it is. (laughs) This vile body. We have to wash it up and keep dressing it up and perfuming it and all that kind of stuff talked to a sinner one time who was so self-righteous and I, I, just, it, I just had had enough. I said, have you got a handkerchief? And he, I don't know whether he thought it was bleeding or what. He said, oh yeah, sure, you know. I said, no, 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 no. I said, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a crude subject, but what do you use it for? <laughs> you know? And he didn't catch on yet. And I went a little farther. I said, oh, we are poor, corruptible, vile creatures with the fallen sons of fallen Adam. And we have to keep putting up a front, you know, and putting on a dress and putting on a covering. God knew that. He started it. You see, he told us to do it. But uh, thank God he's going to change his vile body and make it all as vile as vile is, so glorious glory will be. going to be like his glorious body. 
Don't we have to compare all this that we've read with 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10? How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from him. Back there, 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago. Don't we have to compare this with what Paul says in the fourth chapter? We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. We, he says, he never dreamed that the dispensation of the grace of God would last so long. Oh, there's more to say, so much more, you know it. Look at the notes. You never saw a man with so many notes. I just had to scribble them all down. I don't know if I got them all. I'm sure I didn't. But there's so, so much to, to say about this. And isn't it wonderful that our hope is present? We're looking for the Lord Jesus to come. I am. I hope that hope burns bright in your heart. I hope you haven't started a question it just because things are happening around us. Go by the word of God, not by your feelings or your fears. And say, oh... How wonderful to be able to say, perhaps today, maybe even yet tonight, the Lord will come. That's how this dispensation is going to end. And if you're not saved, oh, I beg of you, this may be your last chance. Who knows? Don't gamble when the stakes are so high. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe those five wonderful words of the gospel. Christ died for our sins and everlasting life is yours. Thank you, Brother Tom.